This program is supported by Altus Learn. Did you know that 89% of employees say, if my employer invested in my training, I'm more likely to stay with the organization long-term? An Altus Learn Imaging Campus has the required education for imaging centers to meet annual ACR, IAC, and Joint Commission requirements for radiation and MRI safety and CT dose reduction. An imaging campus not only provides the annual required education, but also provides the imaging center techs with access to over 200 CEs, which are accepted by the ARRT. Including CEs published on the RADCAST podcast, imaging technologists can track all of their CEs through the CE wallet, and imaging center leaders can check the compliance status of each of its team members. Learn more at the bottom of RADCAST.com and click on Get a Campus. So today on this Turner Talk, we're really, really stretching our boundaries here as we are going across the world. So Kim and I are on the East Coast and, and it, our morning, our Friday morning is waking up and Stephanie is in Singapore. So she's, she's winding down her week. So we've got a great show today. I know it shows up quite a bit on social media, um, at different conventions and conferences and things. What other, what else can you do if you decide to leave clinic or, you know, if you want to leave clinic or for, you know, whatever reason you find yourself out of the clinical setting, what else can you do with your credentials and your education? So we're going to do kind of a three-part series on this. Um, the, this is the first one, and this one's going to be on switching careers. So when you leave clinic for corporate, when you go to work for a vendor or an educational company, or we're also going to do one on education for those people that become educators that work in universities and in you know, hospital set, um, education-based settings. Um, and then we're going to do one on leadership as well. So this, this three-part series is all about switching careers. And today we're going to start with clinic to corporate. So I'm going to ask both ladies to you know, just give you a brief bio and introduce themselves. So Kim, if you want to start, I would appreciate it. Sure. I'm an application specialist now. I was a mammotech. Um, I've been in the field for over close to 40 years. Um, so giving away my age here. And I work for Project Incorporated. So basically I'm a clinical application specialist. And what I do is I go on site at hospitals and private offices to train um, on 3D mammal machines, um, an upright firm and an a, pro a prone firm um, biopsy machine. And also a specimen imaging device, which is called a Trident. So those are the things that I'm doing now, but I switched over from a mammo tech. But so I've also- Oh, I'm sorry, I, wasn't gonna, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Okay. But I've done a lot of things in radiology. I worked in x-ray, I've worked in the OR, I've been a supervisor of a radiology department and a mammo department within my career. I was gonna say we've never had a mammo tech on here. So I was I wanted to, you know, make sure that everybody noticed that, you know, that this is a new experience for us as well. Stephanie and I are both radiation therapists, so we appreciate all the work you do, um, you know, beforehand. So oh, Stephanie, how about um you give us a quick bio of where, where you are and what you're doing? Yep. Thanks, Cheryl. So um my background is radiation therapy. So um in Malaysia. Um, that's where I practiced clinically for eight years uh, before I move over to the vendor world. Um, so I did my um, degree locally and then I pursued my master's in um, the UK. 
And after that, um, I worked as a clinical application specialist um, for about a year before now moving on to my new role in Varian for about a year and a half now. Um, and I'm working on therapy advancement and clinical excellence. So this is actually a very new role that they created for this part of the region, Southeast Asia and Korea, because we noticed that there is a gap, say when um, the sales and the applications team has already trained the users, but what happens after that? What, where, where do we still keep the engagement with our users? So that's where I come in. So I help these sites to take their clinical practice to another level, say if they're still doing IMRT um, and VMAT, how can I help them to take them to the next level, like stereotactic body radiation therapy, and also working with um, societies within the region on establishing clinical practice guidelines. So that is what I do right now. I really appreciate that role. Um, that's not something that is utilized a lot here in the States. And I know, and Kim, you may be able to speak to this a little bit too. I know there it's, I've been told during some research and different things that I've worked on that there does seem to be that gap, the gap in between vendor training and the, the continued engagement and you know the updates on education and training. So there does seem to be a gap there. So I do appreciate that role. And one thing you mentioned is staying in the clinic and staying um, you know, engaged and with, with the people that you're helping. And we're gonna get into that here in a little bit, but let's start at the beginning. So Kim, if you don't mind, you said you've been, um, you've been credentialed for a long time, just like I have been. Um, yeah, I'm well over 30 years. So um, if you don't mind, just tell us about your education and did it take any additional education to get into the role you are that you now serve it with Hologic? It did not um, require any more education other than training through Hologic itself on the equipment. But I have an associate's um, of science, um, performed many different things. So I guess my resume, because of my background, x-ray, MAMO, supervisor, um, was enticing to the company. <laughs> so when I've, and then it's, it was a hard, I had like seven interviews before I actually got hired. So it's it's a tough company. It's a great company to work for. Um, I have to say, I was very nervous transitioning, you know, but I love it. And it I made the right steps, I think. You know, your body, I don't know, but like doing mammo and x-ray, you know, for over 30 years, your body really, your shoulders, your knees, your hips, they start to affect you in a negative way. So me transitioning to the job that I'm doing now, I'm still working in the same field with MAMO and women trying to create healthier lives every day. And Hologic is so big with this. It's amazing. They're a great company to work for. Good. And you mentioned how deep your resume was with different credentials and work experiences. And so that's something else that we've talked about on several shows is this idea of cross training or, you know, adding on post primaries and which ones are the most beneficial. And actually, I, th I think we did a show just last week um, with someone that, you know, recorded a show with someone talking about CT, MR, MAMO, interventional. So that was the other that was kind of the other big ticket item. So 
Um, Stephanie, you said that you had completed your master's degree. So can you tell us, one, just tell us a little bit about the education process in Southeast Asia, um, what that initial credential looks like. So for example, I'm a, radiolo I'm a radiology tech and a radiation therapist, and I know some people go straight through to radiation therapy school. So can you tell us a little bit about what the education system or process looks like in Southeast Asia, and then why you decided to go on and get that master's degree? Right. So um, when I graduated in Malaysia and even within the region, um, I would say radiation therapy, um, the path for radiation therapy is not very clear cut. So back then we only had very like a handful of institutions that would um, provide education, like diploma in radiation therapy. And it's like a degree in radiation therapy, but it's however it's coupled with diagnostic imaging. So you graduate with a bachelor's of diagnostic imaging and radiation therapy. So okay. you kind of like both. Yeah, so, but after that, if you want to pursue your master's or anything forward back then, um, there's nothing to it. So you probably have to do it um, abroad. So I've got friends doing it in the UK, um, expanding it um, to other parts of the overseas, for example, because in our area, we just don't have it. So what happens is that um, radiation therapists would end up probably taking a local master's degree for medical physics. Okay. So that's um, somehow that pathway. Uh, we don't have those symmetries in Malaysia. So it's either you do radiation therapy um, and then you do a master's degree in medical physics and then you branch out as a medical physicist. So what yeah. is your master's degree in? What is your master's so degree in, in what? Uh -huh. So it's radiation therapy, so it's radiotherapy and oncology. Oh, okay, okay. So it's a very specialized yeah. degree. It's very yeah. specialized. So here in the US, they do have um, masters in radiation sciences but I would say, and Kim, maybe you can help me with this. I would say that most, most clinicians, if they get advanced degrees, they're either in education, administration, leadership. Now, there may be some physics, but that's if you want to take yeah. a specific physics route. Okay, so let's work through this. And so, Stephanie, why did you decide to transition? You kind of alluded to it a little bit, just time in the field and maybe want to do something different. Why did you decide to transition to out of clinic? And in, how did you start looking at other things outside of clinic? So, um, honestly, I think it'll probably be the other way around. Um, it kind of found me and I thought, like, why not give it a chance? And I love clinical work. Um, I love being a radiation therapist. I was a senior radiation therapist um, back when I was still in the clinic. I really like my work. Um, I love, I think you can relate to that, Cheryl. Like we, we love to see our patients coming in on a daily basis, um, having that chit chat with them. And then, yeah, I, I miss all of that. I miss the hands-on. But when the opportunity came, um, I told myself like, could I, the challenge could get out of the comfort zone and try something out i know I'm helping my cancer patients now in my hospital but is there some way that i can reach out to more patients out there within the region so i think that's my pushing point that if i can help more people out there with what knowledge i have um that's why i i took the leap yeah 
So Kim, what about you? How, because you had so many different opportunities, you know, different segments and things. How did you start looking and, and why did you look corporately? Um, I've always loved, like we would have students and I enjoyed training them and I got such positive feedback from them. And even within the department, training other techs on stereo, training other techs on DEXA. Um, and they would always say, you know, Kim, you should do this for a living. So as time progressed, um, Hologic actually came into our, our company to teach us some stuff. And um, one of the women said, how come everybody comes to you for questions? So it kind of fell into my lap and had me thinking, you know what? I'm starting to look for something else that's less on my body. This would be the perfect opportunity. So after speaking with her, I had applied and I started the process that way. So it seems like both of you had very good relationships with the corporation or with the vendor because you were used to interacting with them in clinic, correct? Correct. Yeah. yeah. So um, you both said that it kind of fell in your lap. Um, would was this a company you thought about working for before this happened? Had you ever wondered what's it like to work for Varian or Hologic? Um, had they not approached you, maybe would you have approached them? So Kim, what do you think? If Hologic hadn't shown up in your department, would you have approached Ab them? Absolutely, <laughs> because the vendors that were coming into our facility, I always would talk with. And um, I had an interest. I had an interest in doing this. So um, yeah. I would have to say yes to that. So Stephanie, what about your experience with, um, you know, vendor reps from Varian? How did they, you said it, you know, they kind of approached you with this, but how did they encourage you? And how, what about what they did? Like Kim said, you know, she had always had a good rapport with them. What about those representatives that were already in your facility made you think, hey, yeah, I like those people and I want to be one of those people. So I think I would echo what Kim said. Um, Again, we already use the variant machines in the clinic and then we know how it works. And you know, when you always like anytime when you have a problem, you know that you can um, reach the help desk team, you know, you can reach out to your engineers or um, your application specialist. And I would say that variant has been very um, quick on. I was in the clinic. So even if there's something wrong with the machine, and you know, in radiation therapy, we have to get the machine up and running as soon as possible cannot skip treatment. And we have such supportive um, team of engineers that uh, we, as a therapist, we kind of like got um, a good relationship with them. Um, and I think that kind of made me feel that if they have such a warm and good working, um, you know, positivity going on, and this must be a very good company. And once I'm in Varian right now, I I would still feel and say the same. Um, everyone in the team has been very helpful. From the day you walk in, you just reach out to anyone. Um, they're always there to like give you some pointers and help you out. Um, even though it was very new for me coming from the clinic and right into the vent world. So yeah, only good things to say. Well, and I'm Thank very, you. I'm very encouraged that you both have such high regard for the, you know, vendor reps. So Kim, you mentioned that it took you several interviews. Uh, you know, it was, it was a process. How about you just so if, if somebody's listening and they're like, yeah, I love that, I want to do that. Kim, how about you walk us through the process of this job's available to where you actually were hired? 
So I would always the field engineer and then the app specialist that came in. Um, I just always admired their ethics and the support that Hologic always gave. So that's why I was so interested in this company because of how what I saw out in the field when they would right. come in. So, you know, the, the interview process was nerve wracking. <laughs> I have to be honest. You know, you're interviewed by so many different people and so many different questions being asked. Um, and it made me want to work even more. Like if they're so strict with this to hire someone, then this is definitely where I want to be. So that's basically my path. You know, the different interviews, several interviews were over the phone. And then the last two were out at the office and they hire, I mean, we're a huge region. We're all throughout the United States, Asia, um, Costa Rica. I mean, we're everywhere and there's multiple offices. So I was going to ask that. I was going to ask where, you know, where your one is whole logics, um, is their head, are their headquarters close to you? And two, if so, was everything virtual or did you have to travel? How does that work? So once you're hired, then you have to go into training and your training is, I think, what was it? Three months. They don't just send you out in the field because you have the knowledge. They want to make sure that you have what it takes to be an application specialist there. And it's rigorous. It's nerve wracking. I thought I knew it all. I'll be honest. I was like, oh, I work on this equipment. It's going to be so easy. Well, surprise. It was not. <laughs> So um, there is an office in Danbury, Connecticut. I'm on Long Island, New York. Um, so I went there for my actual personal interviews. Um, but training could be anywhere. Um, we have office in Bedford. We have an office in San Diego. So I've actually been to both for different trainings. Excellent. So what about you, Stephanie? When you, you know, when you found out this job was available, what was that hiring? Once again, for somebody that may want to walk this path and want to be prepared, you know, as Kim said, it's nerve wracking. It took a long time. I thought I knew everything. What did your hiring yeah. process look like? And what would you suggest to somebody who may start, you know, looking into this? I think I probably had as much questions for the interviewer than they had for me. <laughs> So I think um, for those of you who want to like move into this role, I think um, I'm sure you guys would have a lot of questions. I think it's the best time to ask them questions. And I think you can kind of like gauge, um, is this something you really want to do? So I, I made sure that I kind of clarified the questions that I wanted then. Um, and they also had questions for me. So it was, I, I like it because it was back and forth. It was like a conversation instead of a very um, scary. So I think um, getting prepared before um, you undertake that role is like very important. Yeah. So you mentioned, um, you know, you said get prepared and Kim has said she thought she knew everything. How, Kim, what, I guess, what is the greatest thing you've learned? What is the thing you thought you knew and then you got into training? You're like, oh, wow, I didn't know this was done that way. So, Kim, what about that when you entered into training with Hologic? So, the training is, so it's not just doing a mammo. It's the whole guts of the machine, how everything runs, which I didn't know. I mean, I knew how to perform a patient to do a mammogram, but I didn't know everything that's involved with inside of the machine that we train them on. So we train the entirety where field you're using maybe 25% of that 
where as a manager or a um, supervisor, they're going to know more. The, the person who does the QC on the machine, they're going to know more than the staff that just does the mammograms. So when we go out to train, we teach them everything. So, um, Stephanie, you said this was kind of a newly created position. Yep. So what has been, have you had to work on what this position really means? Did they already have that very well defined or has it changed and kind of grown since you've been there? I would say that it has changed and grown. Yes, definitely. So I think the challenge is that um, coming from Southeast Asia and Korea, there would be like 10 different countries in this region. And uh, most of them speak their own native language, um, only with like Malaysia, Singapore, that we, uh, and Hong Kong, perhaps, that we can do, uh, we speak some English. So I think that was the challenge for me. Um, the good thing again about Varian is that we have very good local support. So say if I would go to Thailand and meet the customers there, I have my local colleagues who would be very happy to help translate and bridge the communication gap. Um, so I think uh, that is something really interesting for me when I came into this role. And I think um, thinking out of the box is what um, it's challenging for me. Like in the clinic, you know, everything is set in stone. You're following a set of protocols. You're following yeah. a certain line. But when I'm in this role, I realize that I have to creatively, like how do I appear from the other side of the mirror? How do I... How do I engage with my friends, my colleagues, the users? So I think um, that, that has been an amazing experience for me. So you mentioned that for radiation therapy, everything's very structured, or it should be, until something pops up in the middle of the day that you know blows your whole day. And so Kim, I assume that it's you know fairly the same, especially in MAMO, you've got a set of schedules. Can you tell us what a day in the life of a, a application specialist for Hologic looks like. How is your week scheduled? How do you know where you're going? And once you get there, how long do you spend in a certain clinic? And once you get there, what is it you do all day long? What does your day or your week look like? Okay, so if I'm training on one product, say 3D Mammo, it is a two-day um, attendance with the staff. So on day one, you train how do you, the the usage of the paddles, the usage of the, what's called the AWS was the acquisition workstation. Mm -hmm. so all that done on day one with staff members, maximum five, because it's a lot of people <laughs> to train. And you have different levels of understanding through the staff. So you have to be able to communicate through different levels. Um, so day one, you talk about the paddles, and the machine and then day two you go through quality control with just two people because you don't want more than that well that's all we train basically because it's a lot it's a lot of information because this is how you get your acr and you pass your fda stuff and um and then in the afternoon we do patients to make sure that everything that you trained them on is understood and they're doing it how they're supposed to be doing it. Now, that's for dimensions. Now, for Trident, it's one day. That's your um, specimen imaging device. Mm -hmm. And then for biopsies, it's a three-day. So cool. day one, you train the doctor. I mean, I'm sorry, you, you would train the staff on the usage of the table. And then you go to the AWS, the same thing, to teach them on that. 
Day two, it's the staff, the, the techs, only three and up to three positions. And then in the afternoon, we do mock um, biopsies. And then on day three, we do real patients. So I think one question. So we're there for support. We're always there for support. Our support line is is amazing. They're very knowledgeable and they can pr basically walk you through anything. But we're we also leave a card behind for questions that they might have. So Hologic Drill is there for support in every avenue. I was going to ask, I think one question that listeners may have is what does your travel schedule look like? Do you have a region, Kim? Do you have a region around your area? And what is that? How much do you travel? I travel weekly. You travel every single week. Um, basically, I'm the northeast region. We have, I think, seven regions within the United States. But say there is nothing for me here in the northeast, but someone they need me in the Atlantic. I would fly out to the Atlantic. So you're out week after week, either three days or four days, sometimes okay. five. Okay. So Stephanie, you also mentioned that you travel because you have to travel to different countries, you know, or in your area. So the same question I asked Kim, what does your travel schedule look like? And what is your week or what is your day? What are you doing when you get into clinic? Yeah, so it's um, very different from how Kim's schedule looks like. Mine, it's um, usually you have control of your schedule and you kind of like book your appointments depending on when the users are available. So I work um, specifically on Halcyon sites. Um, so sites within an region that just had Halcyon and then um, they've completed a training and then they want to um, take their classes to the next level. So that's where I come in. So um, that would be me working with them when they are available and when they want to have me in. Um, and also when I work with um, the Thai Society uh, of Medical Physicists. Um, so I work closely with them to develop clinical practice guidelines. And this would be me working with uh, a number of different hospitals with um, the Phobia software that we have. So again, this would always be dependent on when the users are available. And I would travel looks like about 50 to 60%, um, sometimes more. Um, so if not, if I'm not traveling, I'm usually based off a work from home basis. Uh, and I would complete like my emails and everything um, from home or on Zoom or on Teams meeting. So definitely more face-to-face um, -face. customers within this region always prefer um, meeting us face-to-face -face than having um, webinars and um, a, you know more digital platform. That's uh, not really common over here. So since we're in unprecedented times right now, um, Kim, how has how has the shutdown, how has have all the measures, how have they affected your travel and your training um, capabilities since, since we're so all we've gone, right now? We've gone remote. We actually have remote training for facilities that cannot let any vendors in. Um, it's the same training, but it's with FaceTime, it's with webinars. Um, basically, we send them um, WebExes to watch. Um, to prepare them for when we actually training live. It, it's very different. It's, it's affected us, I have to say. It's like, it's so different from what you're used to. 
So I'm glad that things are starting to open up again because I much prefer to be live. And you need that interaction to really feel that they're understanding what you're training. I think it makes a big difference watching WebEx versus live. I agree with you. Um, Stephanie, you said that WebExes and those kinds of things were a little new and mm -hmm. um, not the norm. So how, have, how has Varian adapted and how have your clients accepted that? Yep, so before this, um, remote planning wasn't very popular within users in our region and now it's like really hot topic right now. <laughs> That is where they want to move. It's working, I have to say. <laughs> yeah. So um, they they really much, um, they want to look at this opportunity. And just earlier today, we did um, uh, the first um, kickoff meeting um, for the Thai team. It was a bit challenging because there were, we had like over 10 different hospitals in Thailand on that call. Um, and we have to conduct it in half English and half Thai. But wow. it went well, it, it really did. So with technology, I, we realized that if with the chat box system and we can Google Translate um, on the fly, yeah, it, it helped a lot. So I would say when it comes to radiation therapy in our region, I would say remote planning and we're looking at telemedicine. Yeah. And I will say both of those are very hot topics in the US right now. Yes. Telemedicine, wouldn't you say, Kim? We've had a lot of positive feedback on the remote, so that's a plus. Yeah, it is. So one of the other questions I want to get into is because clinicians, for the most part, enter this profession because of patient care. So Kim, how do you feel like you're still making a difference? How do you feel like you're still impacting patients? And how do you feel like you're still, because you also mentioned that you miss the face-to-face -face, even with colleagues I and coworkers. Do. So how, how are you still impacting patient lives? So you, I still have that continuity, continuality built up with the, with the customers. Um, when I'm there, I am with a patient, but I'm just not participating in the positioning or performing the biopsy. So you still have that, and you you know you give to that customer that passion that you've had with your patients. You're now just transferring it over to your customer. Um, so that's how I feel like I'm still in the field. So I you know you never give up that passion. It's what never you never left. <laughs> no, it doesn't leave you. So you you know you just transfer it over to a different avenue. You're doing it with the customers versus your patients, but you still do miss that hands-on contact. So Stephanie, you said you felt like this was a way you could reach even more people. How, how does this work for you with that close patient contact we have as radiation therapists? You know, how, how do you feel like this is still filling that, that passion and that need of yours? Yeah, so um, for me, it's using my previous knowledge that I had when I was in clinics and trying to apply it in uh, my daily interaction with my users. So for example, developing clinical practice guidelines. Um, yes, I wouldn't be there to really draft it or be very hands-on or decide to go in the guidelines anymore. But I think the element of enabling your colleagues, your users to actually um, create or curate something like that, that you know indefinitely if this would work, the patients are going to be um, benefiting from this. 
And when Absolutely. I'm going to Halcyon sites and making sure that um, they are having best practices, so even though you're not hands-on anymore, you're taking a step back, watching from far, but you know that, okay, um, it should be, and if this was me, my clinic, this is how I would want my patients to be treated. So we can't um, affect it anymore um, directly, but I guess when we enable them, I think that's important. So I'm going to ask you both the same question. Um, who can do this? Not every, you know, not everybody can be a radiation therapist. Not everybody can be a mammographer, which means not everybody can do clinical applications or, you know, training or, or even like relations. So Kim, what are the traits, if somebody came to you, what are the traits you would be looking for to say, yeah, I think you can do this? Or you'd say, eh, you know, maybe, maybe how about you look at something else? So what are those traits that, that you think make a good rep? um good communication skills problem solving um you know remember everybody learns at a different level you have to have the patience so they all understand you know give that time to that person who didn't get it in the beginning so communication is, is the key if you're not someone who can communicate well this is definitely not the job for you. Travel. If you have small children at home, this is not the job for you because you're out week after week, three days, four days, five days. And then when you come home, you're not done. You have reports to write, expenses to do. So it's time consuming. But if you have that passion to teach people everything that you've loved in your job, it's the job for you. Stephanie, you mentioned that one of the hardest things, or not hardest, but one of the things that you had to learn was, you know, thinking outside the box. So what would you say to people um, about learning that skill and implementing that if, you know, they chose to work for a vendor? Yeah, so if I were to relate some part of my job to the aspect of clinical marketing, um, this is very different from what we already know. So yes, we have clinical part that we have studied in school, but where does marketing come in? <laughs> so I think for me right now is um, I'm continuously learning. I've got really good mentors in my company, my managers and um, the leadership team has been very supportive and them mentoring and kind of like guiding you um, and give you pointers on, okay, maybe you should think of it this way, think more creatively. And for me, um, filling that gap the business portion of it. Um, I have to make sure that I enable myself to um, take online courses. Um, so what I just completed recently was um, a Harvard course that I did online just to make sure that I am in line with what I'm doing and this is relevant to what I'm doing right now. So even though your clinical portion covered up, there's something else in the field that could you know, help your current goal. And I think that's an excellent point. And so Kim, we'll bounce back to you real quick. What other things, so you knew the technical stuff or you learned it, I mean, you know, the technical things, but what about those kind of other things, those marketing and business and, you know, maybe writing reports or those kinds of things. What, what extra stuff did you have to pick up or have to learn or develop over time? So the software that we use to write our reports, H1, Salesforce, um, concur for expenses those are all things that have to be learned you know the biggest factor out there is your coping skills with different personalities 
you know, you deal with it as a patient, but it's done and over with, but you're there for a couple of days with these people. And, um, you know, you always have to be on the positive side. Right, exactly. I like the way you said that. Well, that's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> so, Stephanie, what about business and marketing? How does that fit in and how, I mean, I know how different it is from radiation therapy because, you know, even in my role now, I've had to pick up stuff that I never knew anything about. So, how do you feel about learning these new things and do you feel like you're getting better at it or thank goodness you've got good mentors and I'm glad you brought up mentors. They're a very important part of all of this. At first, it was all jargon for me. Like, what is this? But I think in time, you kind of like get a hang of it when you attend the quarterly business reviews and you see the same words keep popping up. And then um, at the beginning, you don't know the meanings to this and then you Google them and then you make sure that, you know, you understand them. So in time, you kind of like understand the tools or the, the yeah, tools of the trade, I guess. Um, I wouldn't say that I understand 100% compared to a person who graduate in a master's of business administration, for example, but I would say it helps. And I think, um, especially when it comes to clinical marketing, um, how can you um, make your product or make um, something more relatable to your users? And again, coming back to the topic about reaching out to my users or my patients out there, what we did recently was um, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, I had friends back um, home in Malaysia that um, had to go through the swab test because they had a patient um, suspected for COVID and did not know about it and didn't turn up for treatment. And then later they found out that, oh, okay, this person has COVID. And then the whole team has to be quarantined and swapped. And that really resonated with me. And I'm like, oh gosh, what can I do to help? Right. And then we had um, our friends uh, in Australia, Peter Mack, um, and then we had them um, in the news saying that radiation therapists had COVID. Mm -hmm. And then that's when we like, okay, we got to do something about this. So then we developed a cleaning guideline tool, just a one pager, uh, a poster that they can just print and stick it in their um, Linux room or control console and just kind of like remind them that, hey, um, we care for you. Please just make sure that everything is clean, fine and dandy and go ahead with your daily patients. Yeah. So I'll say my path is my, my road's been kind of long and windy. I was a radiation therapist for a long time. Then I was a college professor. And then, you know, I kind of branched out on my own and I'm working corporately now developing um, education programs. And then I worked, I've been working on the podcast for a couple of years now. And so I've changed and evolved and learned, but I'll say my favorite part is the fact that I'm still able to deliver information to so many people. I've met so many people and now we're actually, I mean, you know, we're across the globe now. So I think just meeting people, communicating, still being personal with people and delivering the education piece. I think the educate, not that I, I loved patient care, but it was still the education piece, whether it was to patients or to, you know, therapists or to my students or whatever. So I feel like this is just a way that we're continuing to deliver education while still, while learning new things, be it the podcast or webinars or, you know, how things are done in different places. So Kim, what's your favorite part? My favorite part is still being able to share knowledge and educate and, you know, make for better practices. So what's your favorite part of all of this? Um, basically what you just said, you know, it's 
going out there training and seeing the passion that I had now being performed through these eyes or these hands, I should say, okay? So it's, you know, it's your passion, the education. We're educating these women to perform mammals for women to have healthier lives. Right. You know, if someone does a bad mammal, things could be missed. And that's not what we want to see out there. So, you know, it's the cutting edge, seeing the education that's out there today being transformed for these applications to all these different customers. And they're saving women's lives every day through one way or another. And that's my passion. So what about you, Stephanie? What would you say is the, you're like, I'm still getting to do, you know, I get to do this every day. What is, what is that for you? Um, I think definitely um, thinking something new every day and thinking how that could help um, touch patients' lives. Um, since we can't do it hands-on, we do it via a medium, which is our users, our um, friends, um, ex-colleagues, name it. So I think um, for me, education is still a part of it. If we, in our role, like what I'm doing right now, if we can notice some gaps, current practices, um, some trends that should be highlighted to a certain region, and we bring it to their attention, and then if they say, yes, this is a gap that we really need to address ASAP. And again, um, by developing something like guidelines and things like that, that would lead to better practices. So yeah, I part of it too. So we've talked about some of the changes that we had to implement on the fly because of the um, pandemic. But Kim, what does the future look like? What does the future of breast care look like? Imaging, biopsy, and how, how do you see that training may evolve or change? What do you see for the future in your, your area? Um, rephrase that question for me, please. I'm sorry. Um, I guess technically, how do you see imaging or like I said, biopsies or how do you see the, that, tra how do you see that changing? And then well, how do you see adapting to training needs changing as well? Well, if this pandemic continues, remote training is definitely going to be the way to go. Um, Hologic is always thinking in the future. So we're always thinking five years ahead, say, I don't know if that's the actual number, but you know, of what technology is gonna be to help women's lives. So they keep coming up with like, so we went from film screen to um, digital to now um, 3D. So looking at within the levels and, um, you know, and that took on a different aspect. The radiologist took, it took longer time to read. Now they've come out with new software to diminish that and still get the same quality. So, you know, we're evolving, always evolving. The company's always evolving. They even COVID-19, we have testing now for COVID-19 to get a, is working on. Right, and had right. FDA approved and sent out. So Hologic's a huge corporation in many different facets. And it's, I am so proud to work for them, I have to say. I'm really happy that I had made that move. I was so nervous. 
changing careers, you know, especially at such a late age in life. <laughs> I may have missed it. How long have you worked for, you said how long you had been a Just tech. about five years now. Five years. So you've been five wow. years from Logic. Yeah. So I thought I was going to retire from my last hospital I was at. I thought I'd be there till, you know, retirement age and life throws your curveball. Right. It seems like this was a good curveball. It definitely is. I'm very happy where I am. I enjoy working for this company. I do. Good. So Stephanie, you work on the Halcyon, which is, you know, one of the newest, fanciest, biggest, all the bells and whistles kind of machines. So, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure Varian has something else in the works, but what do you see about the future of training, especially in Southeast Asia, where things are, you know, a little different? Like you said, the remote stuff was just starting to catch on. I know you and I are talking about some other things, but what do you see about the way that you deliver your message and that, you know, people receive the support, especially on the Halcyon that they need? Yeah. So I like how you um, brought up the Halcyon because that actually resonates with us as radiation therapists because that kind of like streamlined our um, treatment process when how we treat our patients. So with Linux, we have the, we have so many moving parts. We have the couch moving, we have the gantry moving, we have to keep in mind of any collision if the patient has their arms up in a breast treatment. But when all of this is taken away um, and put onto the Halcyon, and it's the concept of following the blue light. So why this is so um, popular, I would say, in Southeast Asia and Korea in this region, um, especially for the developing countries, because we have a lack of manpower, especially radiation therapists, and some of them even um, have to operate the machines on their own. So when you're talking about the Halcyon, when it's very simple, easy to use, and just follow that blue light um, process, it kind of like cuts down some part of the learning curve, um, if you put it that way. So I think that's very interesting for what's happening here in Southeast Asia and Korea. And also when it comes to remote planning due to the pandemic, this has been more of a demand. And telemedicine, when it's never been popular here, we have our patients traveling over 10 kilometers just to go to a doctor that they want to see. But now there's a demand for it. And they're actually looking into ways that can we um, uh, partition these patients into groups like or follow up and then they, like when can they see us when can we just perform telemedicine when do they actually need a uh, human intervention so i think this is something that we'll be seeing moving forward and i agree telemedicine has changed here um, a lot from the radiation therapy side um to i mean i know just general medicine and general practice i think telemedicine at one of the issues I think here in the U.S. is especially when you get in rural areas and I'm from the southeast so when you get into very rural areas you have internet issues and you have you know kind of mm -hmm. user end issues so Kim have you seen any of that um, during this time I mean I'm sure your facilities are, are up and running but have you seen maybe even a lapse because I know people especially like in MAMO they're not full they don't have full patient schedules so have you seen um, any issues with trying to communicate with your, you, you know, your users? So we do have, so Hologic has something called um, Hologic Connect, where um, we can actually get into the machines to help them. Mm -hmm. But yeah, 
you have delays in, in that because there's so many people on. You have delays in WebExing, connectivity problems. Same thing with rural areas. Some of our customers are in rural areas and you have that difficulty with the, uh, with the internet. Even for some of the employees, like when we're having a WebEx, they can have a hard time getting on because of so many people being on, but he is home. So it slows things down or they can't get on. But right. we've so we can always send it later. Yeah. So you just make it, you, we've just learned to adapt and, and kind of move into, into what's working now and, and kind of see, you know, I, I did an interview sometime and asked him, uh, this was a tech, he was a director of several, actually he was in your area, Kim, a director of several different sites and he did all diagnostics, so CT, MRI, you know, mammo, mm -hmm. like I said, interventional, did some interventional stuff. And I asked him what he thought was the thing that was going to stick out of all of this. And he definitely said telemedicine and much more, you know, kind of remote communication. So Stephanie, I'll ask you as we're getting ready to wrap up here, I'll ask you, what would you say to somebody who wanted to do this? You know, if there's a if there's a therapist out there that's like a love clinic, but maybe there's something else for me, how would you tell them to prepare? And how would you tell them to get started? I think for me, um, number one, you have to have a very sound radiation therapy background. Um, and also know that your love for patients and that is ultimately what you want to aim for the end of the day that you get your patients, your palliative patient, or patient, you name it, but your patient should always be in the center of whatever that you want to do. So I think if you want to move on to a role like this, um, be prepared for that part. And also think about um, if this role is suitable for you, like I would echo what Kim said earlier, it's not just, um, oh, it sounds and you get to fly everywhere, you get to see new things. Yeah, that's the nice part of it, but it all comes at a cost. Um, I am very lucky to have a very supportive husband. Um, I have no children yet, so I've also a supportive uh, family, uh, in-laws, and they understand what I do. So I think that is something that you really need to think about and find that balance. Um, and also knowing that you know, when you're in a clinic, you clock in at a certain time, you clock out at a certain time, even though you know you have overtimes on certain days. But when you're in this role, you have to realize that your time has to suit your users. And sometimes you might have to work at odd hours, um, but it's just the nature of the job. So um, there's a lot of perks in it. I would say I really, really do enjoy and love my job. And every day is like a new, challenging, different day for me. Uh, but at the same time, um, make sure that you have the blessing and the support of your family. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Nine to five. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Kim, that she made about support and about how your hours may become somewhat unconventional. So would you tell somebody to really make sure all that stuff was in order? Or is that something that, that you can kind of develop? No, I think you really need to know that ahead of time because, and that's on your interview, they tell you that. <laughs> this is not nine to five any longer. You know, what would happen if, you know, one of your members that you're training didn't understand things and you don't feel that they're comfortable enough to start a real patient? What would you do in that situation? Well, I would stay after hours and make sure she understood it because I don't want her hands on any patient. You know, we're here for the patient even though we're in a different aspect of 
a different role. You're still there. We're there for those patients. And this is why we do what we do today. So I have one last question for both of you and either one of you, you know, you can go first. What about somebody that's intimidated? They go to the whole logic website, they go to the Varian website and you know, there are thousands of jobs listed. How do they pick one? How do they, what if they're intimidated to even get started? What do you, what do you say about that, Kim? I don't know where to start. <laughs> Many different roles. You have to have the qualifications. You might see a list of a thousand different jobs, but what are you looking for? Yeah. I so agree that. make sure you have those qualifications to fulfill that job before you even apply for it. And do you agree, Stephanie, that that's the place yeah. to get started? Yeah. You got to know what you want. You can just jump into something and be like, Maybe this is for me. <laughs> Especially if you're going to be changing. Yeah. I'm sorry. Especially if you're going to be changing for what okay. you, for your passion, you know. Application specialist, you're still, you never get rid of that mammo tech in you. Perfect. Or your biopsy in you, because you're still doing it, except for you're just not hands on. So you, that love for that field that you went into still applies to this new job just without the hands-on, but you're seeing the hands-on through your customers. Right. And I think that's a great way to sum this up. Um, we talked a lot about how to get started, what a day in the life looks like, but most importantly, you said you still have the same passion you did. You're just exhibiting it in a different way. Exactly. Yep, so I thank you both a whole bunch. This was a great show. And I think a lot of people, I think you answered so many questions that a lot of people probably have. And, and you both had great insight. And I'm very proud of the companies you work for because you both have very, very positive and supportive things to say about them. Thank you. So Kim, you have a nice day. Stephanie, you have a, you're headed into the weekend. So you have a nice, nice evening. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. Time.